Good morning, everyone. We're glad that you are here today on a delightful day. A little hot, a little smoky. I have no idea. But it's really nice in here. It smells good in here, and it's cool. All right. Good choice, everyone. Way to go. All right. Let's start with a prayer. Father, thank you very much for the day. We thank you for your great love and your grace. We thank you for your mercy and your faithfulness in our lives that we see on a regular basis. Father, we just thank you very much that we have the opportunity, the privilege, the joy of gathering together uh, on a unique day and participate in this unique activity. We thank you that we have the freedom to do this. We thank you for the people that are here that are teaching and equipping and pouring themselves into uh, the children and the teenagers. And Father, we just pray your blessing upon them. And we pray that during this Sunday school hour, we would see you and that we would be overwhelmed by what we see when we come into the presence of the Lord God Almighty. We thank you that we can talk to you, we can ask, you respond, that you show us yourself over and over again. We look forward to the day that is ahead of us. And we thank you for it and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this morning we are going to be looking at uh, uh, Jericho and Joshua and all of the things that happen along those things. So I want you to turn with me to Deuteronomy 34. We are going to do quite a bit of reading this morning. I want to I catch us up, if you will. Um, the, the quarterly, as, as I have mentioned to you, it... Uh, it does quite a bit of jumping around and stuff, and I just want to—I just want to catch us up just a little bit um, to get to where we're going to go with Jericho. So we're going to start with Deuteronomy chapter 34, the very uh, last part of Moses's life, and God explaining what's going on next, and so that we are are kind of understanding the flow, and are, and we're following along here as we get to to Joshua's story. So. In Deuteronomy 34, it says this, Now Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, and all of Naphtali and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, and the Negev and, Negev, and the plain in the valley of Jericho, the, the city of palm trees as far as Zor. Then the Lord said to him, this is the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows his burial place to this day. Although Moses was 120 years old when he died, his eye was not dim, nor his vigor abated. So the sons of Israel wept for Moses in the plain of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. <clears throat> it's interesting, isn't it, that God took him up and, and fulfilled with Moses what Moses had been longing for forever, to see the promised land. He couldn't go there. He couldn't live in the promised land. And he couldn't do that because of why? He struck a rock instead of speaking to it. Disobedience. Exactly right. And, and we're going to look at, <clears throat> next week actually will be a pretty intense lesson as we look at sin next week um, as we move along here. But we're reminded every now and again that sin is a very, very, very serious deal. And uh, 
uh, we're not reminded of that, it seems like, a lot of times because we live in, in grace and we live in this wonderful age that we live in and, and we have the blessings that we have so many times. But we need to be reminded every once in a while that sin's pretty serious. This was a serious deal. But the Lord took him up there and said, look, there it is, but you're not going to be able to go there. And the Lord took care of Moses. And we see, we see in this portion of Scripture a friend taking care of his friend. And that's kind of unique here, isn't it, that the Lord did that for Moses. Verse 9 says, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, and the sons of Israel listened to him, and did as the Lord commanded Moses. Since that time, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. For all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and his servants and all his land, and for all the mighty power and for all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all of Israel. No one has lived since like a man named Moses. He was a remarkable, remarkable individual, a friend of God, and he did some great things for the Lord. And that is the Lord telling us about this man named Moses. So Joshua is the new leader of the nation of Israel. Joshua, of course, was one of the two who went into the land and had the confidence that God would lead the nation of Israel. He was one of the spies that said, nope, it'll be fine. Joshua and Caleb, and Joshua was, was, one of, was the man who then took over. And in chapter one, we see God's charge to Joshua is what my chapter says here, that um, Joshua is... is uh, is given command, and, and again, as I said, we want to do a lot of reading. We want to we want to kind of catch up as we get to Jericho. Joshua one. Now it came to pass after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the that the Lord spoke to Joshua the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, "Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all his people, to the land which I am giving them to the sons of Israel. Every place in which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses." Isn't it interesting? that as the Lord is turning the mantle of leadership over to Joshua, he brings up Moses regularly. This guy, Moses. Okay, I promised him, and now I'm promising you. You can trust me on this. From the wilderness and, and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea, toward the setting of the sun, will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people this possession of this land, which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. A couple of observations I want to make from this portion of scripture that you're semi-familiar with. And that is this. And this is something that maybe has not... Oh, cool because we're going to Jericho. Good man. <laughs> Brian, took, Brian took my shofar and said, I want to use it in class. I said, you should go around and blow it in all the Sunday school classes. I thought about it. You should do it. Cool. All right. 
um, in verse 8, a verse that you know, you are very familiar with. Who's speaking here? God. That's something that you may not have been able to answer that question of before today if we would have pulled that verse out and shared that verse and quoted um, this verse, this verse that you know. God's the one that's speaking. God is the one that says, hey, make sure this is what you do. Make sure this is what happens in life. Okay? And I want to make the other observation, and this is this. God says to to Joshua early on in this chapter, I'm going to give you all this land, right? He makes it incredibly clear, does he not? Incredibly clear. He says, you're going to get it from here to here, from there to there. You're going to get all the land. He says in verse 5, no one's going to be able to stand before you. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. And yet, in the next four verses then, he repeats, be strong and courageous. Even though he gave that specific promise to Joshua this is what's going to happen. He knew that as Joshua began to implement the plan of God, Joshua would need to be strong and courageous in spite of having all of the answers. In spite of knowing what the end was going to be, you're going to face some, some things that are going to be a little large, a little overwhelming. Be strong and courageous. Okay? Works for us, doesn't it? God has said to us, here's, here's the end. Here's what's going to happen. I want you to travel through this thing called earth as you get there, but be strong and courageous as you wander on this earth. Be strong and courageous. I know I said I was going to be with you, and I'm going to be with you, but I want you to be strong and courageous. I want you to, to handle this in a right way. Be strong and courageous. Verse 9 is a good verse. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's going to work out, Joshua. I know you're going to need some strength. Hang in there. As we continue into Joshua in chapter 2, uh, the end of chapter 1 and chapter 2, they send some spies in to check out Jericho. These guys, they go in and they need to check it out. You need to know exactly what the enemy is like and what the strengths are and so on and so forth. And then they took shelter with a woman named Rahab. And we read about Rahab and we'll deal with Rahab in a little while here. And then we, we come to chapter 3 and we want to read this. Then Joshua arose early in the morning, and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim and came to the Jordan, and they lodged there before they crossed. At the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priest carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be between you and it a distance of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourself, for tomorrow morning the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over ahead of the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of the people. Now the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin, begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. You shall, moreover, command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the sons of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and he will surely dispossess from before you the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, the Pezrite, the Gershagite, the Amorite, and the Jebusite. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant 
of the Lord of all of the earth is crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan. Now then, take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man for each tribe. It shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priest who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan will be cut off, and the waters which are flowing down from above will stand up in one heap. I have mentioned this before with a couple other things, but I find it incredibly interesting and pretty significant that God does not have a formula for working the miracles that he works. He didn't do it the same way here that he did the Red Sea. He did it a different way. The, the consistent regular thing is the power of the Lord is behind it, right? But he has it do it in different ways. What's one of the reasons why that might be the case or the reason that that might be the case? Why does he do it differently? Yes, that's a great answer of why he does it. Why does he do it differently? Agreed. So we don't think it's like a magic formula, a recipe. Exactly right. So that we know that it's God that's doing it, so that people would see God. But if, if God did it the same way every time, we in our own power would try to reproduce that. Okay? That's why salvation's not the same. And one of the things we've seen in Acts, and, and as we've talked about our story, salvation's not the same for everybody. It's way different over and over again. Because there is no formula. It's God working in remarkable ways to display his glory in lives and among the nations. And we see that over and over again in all the different ways that God works. And I think that that's really cool in the Bible. Yes? Right. Absolutely. Downstream, all of a sudden, that water is cut off. Gone. They can't, you know, big nations can't miss. Yeah. Because the Jordan River don't stop. Right. This was a significant deal. Yeah. Life changed instantly all of a sudden, didn't it? You betcha. Exactly right. You betcha. God displayed himself in remarkable ways over and over again. Verse 14, so when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and when those who carried the Ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests carrying the Ark were dipped on the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all of its banks in the days of harvest, as Sam just said, it was, a, it was overflowing, the waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap a great distance away at Adam, the city which is beside Zernath, and those who were flowing downward of the sea... And the salt sea, they were completely cut off. So the people crossed the opposite of Jericho. It's exactly what Sam just said. Okay? It's like you read ahead and you knew what was going on. That's exactly what happened. Flood stage, up here, down there, they're cut off. Nothing's going on. Now, it's also interesting, that what, what did God require of the people? What did God require for the waters to do what we just read the waters did? Had to step out. They actually had to step into the water in one way or another, didn't they? They had to trust that what God said is going to happen is going to happen. Begin doing what God told you to do. And that's a good lesson for us all the time. We need to do what God tells us to do. Okay? Um, we, what we want is, 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 God, when you lay out everything you're going to do, I will begin my journey. And God says, that's not how it works. You begin doing what you're supposed to do, and I'll begin doing things. And I'll do it a little at a time in my time. Okay? 
And, and so we need to remember that in our lives. We need to go forward. We need to trust the Lord and go forward over and over again. And he then uh, displays his glory in amazing ways. So uh, they crossed. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all of Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. And so they, they went across just like the Red Sea. They went across this river without any problem at all because God made it so. Yes, ma'am. How many and how long? Have no idea how long. When they crossed the Red Sea, they were at about two, they were at about two million. So I'm going to say that the numbers were about the same, okay? And, and you know, I'm going to say that it was about two million. How long? Uh, no idea. How long does it take to get two million people to cross a river? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow, right? So I don't know. Right, they were... Yep, because they were around the, the tabernacle. They did everything. Yeah, it would have been a very orderly deal. Would have taken a long time. Okay, would have taken a long time. I always thought it would be amazing to see how many had to die in the 40 years. Right, right. All of the adults. Yeah. A, a lot. A lot. A, a, probably a million, give or take. Of how many died. That's true. And then in numbers a little later. All of the adults, not all of them died, just the adults. Okay. Just, yeah. Yeah, 20 years and that Right, right. But then uh, in numbers, it gives you another list as you look at the people of the tribes and the numbers. And then it'll, if you want to take time and add them up, you can get those numbers. Yeah. If you add them up, you can tell me next week. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle. Yeah. I know. A long line. <laughs> God did it, and God made it happen, and it's a pretty amazing thing. Chapter 4, we continue this, because I think that all this is significant. Now, when... All the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. The Lord spoke to Joshua again, saying, Take for yourself twelve men from the people, one from, man from each tribe, and command them, saying, Take up for yourselves twelve stones from here, out in the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm, and carry them over with you, and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. So Joshua called the twelve men from whom he had appointed from sons of Israel, one man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross again to the ark of the Lord your God to the middle of Jordan, and each of you take up a stone in his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. Let this be a sign among you, so that when your children ask later, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall say to them, Because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, so these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. Thus the sons of Israel did as Joshua commanded, and they took up the 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, just as the Lord spoke to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel, and they carried them over with them to the lodging place, and they put them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the feet of the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing, and they are there to this day. 
The priests who carried the ark were standing in the middle of Jordan until everything was completed that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people hurried across. And when all the people had finished crossing, the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed before the people. So they set up these stones as a, as a memorial. And we see that every now and again in uh, the Bible where the Lord says, you need to set something up so that you remember. We need to remember exactly what went on here. We, we need you to remember this. And the reason why the Lord had them set up stones to remember is because why? Because we forget. That's exactly right. And in the text specifically, he said what? Why, why should we do this? Because why? For future generations. So that when your children say, what in the world is that? The story will be told and God will get the glory. See, it's important that we remember things and we set up markers in our life every once in a while to remember. But it's also important that things go on in our life so that those younger than us will ask us, tell me about that. Because what does that do for our children and our grandchildren and on and on and on? What does that do for them? It builds their faith. Exactly right. It helps them understand that God is real and God does things and he's not someone who's just in Sunday school stories or somebody that the preacher talks about. God is in my family's life as well and I know how God worked. Tell your stories to your children. Tell your stories to your grandchildren. They need to know how God works in your life. You know how we talked about telling your story about when you were saved? Do your children know that story? Are your grandchildren old enough to understand that story? You be telling people your story. You tell people about what God has done in your life. Now, there's a time and a place, you know, when your children are 10, you don't need to tell them all of the hoodlum activities that you were involved in, right? But when they get to be 16, 17, and 18, you're not going to hurt them at all to hear the whole thing. And to hear the ins and outs of what, where you were and what was going on. And when they get to be an adult, to hear where you were so that they can look and they can say, God did a great thing in my mom or my dad's life. That's a good thing. All right? Don't be afraid of that. Okay? You need to protect them when they're young, obviously. But you do not need to be afraid of them knowing what it is that God did in your life. We need to tell people about God. We need to tell our children what God has done in our life. Tell our grandchildren, tell our family that what God has done in our life so that they'll understand that God is real, okay? We need to make sure that we are, we are always, the job that we have with our children is to make sure that they understand that the God that they read, that they hear about in Sunday school and youth group and vacation Bible school and camp is a real and very active, involved God, okay? Bring it home for them. Only you can do that. Okay? That's what the Bible talks about when it talks about in Deuteronomy, teach them along the way and teach them when you sit down and teach them when you rise up, teach them when you're walking, teach them at home, teach them constantly. Tell them about God. So they laid these stones. What's another name for this stone laying thing? Anybody know? Uh, no, that's a one that they're, anything else? Ebenezer, that's exactly right. And from what great song is that? That's exactly right. Come thou fount. Come thou fount. One of the greatest songs ever written. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 7. 
1 Samuel chapter 7. I would encourage you, read through the words or listen to Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing sometime today. Remarkable, powerful, excellent, great theology, good words, good song. Okay, good song. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, we read this in verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shin and named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped me. The stone of help. That's what an Ebenezer is. It's a reminder of what God has done for you. Okay? In my office on my bookshelf, I have... uh, I have a stone, a rock, it's about that big, and on top of it, a little one, and, and another one on top of it, and it was last year at Father's Day, uh, my kids gave it to me, and, and, it, and it says, here I set my Ebenezer, and it's just a reminder that God helps you through life, and it's, that's what the Bible says over and over again, that's what they did with Joshua, look, God helped us, okay, you have those in your life, they're not stones or rocks, they're other things. Maybe it's the remarkable way you got your home. Maybe it's the remarkable way you got a job. Maybe it's the remarkable way that God uh, took you through a devastating accident and, 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 and saved, you know, your life and did different things. Maybe it's you fill in the blank. It, there you go. And it's stones of remembrance. Here I, here I set, here I lay my Ebenezer, the stone of God helped me. God did this great work. We need to never forget that that's what God does. Go back to Joshua. <clears throat> Verse 14. On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight. I'm in Joshua 4, 14. The Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all of Israel so that they revered him just as they had revered Moses in all the days of his life. God needed to make sure that the people would follow the new leader well. And so he worked out some things so that that would happen so that they wouldn't always be saying <laughs> can you, you can imagine this right with the nation of Israel this wouldn't surprise you at all. We want Moses. This Joshua guy. He's not. We need Moses. We need Moses. This Joshua is no good. You know, that's what they did on a regular basis with certain things. So you can imagine them doing that, right? Well, look at what it says. Then the Lord said to Joshua in 15, command the priests who carry the ark of the testimony that they come up from the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests saying, come up from the Jordan. It came about when the priests who carried the ark of the covenant for the Lord had come up from the middle of the Jordan. The soles of the priests' feet were lifted from on dry ground that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and went all over its banks as before. And the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th of the first month and encamped at Gilgal on the eastern edge of Jericho. Those 12 stones which they had taken up from the Jordan, Josh, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the sons of Israel, when your children ask their father in time to come, saying, what are these stones? You shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Again, talk to your children about the issues of life. Let them know what you're praying about. Let them know when God answers your prayer. Let them know when neat things go on so that they may fear the Lord God forever and know that he is a real 
God and not just an interesting story in Sunday school. Okay? The lesson then that we're getting to today begins in chapter 5. Okay? God achieves this unique victory in chapter 5 as they have come to Jericho and it's time to begin to go into the land. So chapter 5, verse 1. Now it came about when all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the sons of Israel until they had crossed that their hearts melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the sons of Israel. Because the reason their hearts melted was why? They saw a big thing happen, which translated to what? Huh? The Red Sea, the miracle, but it translated to what with them, particularly with the kings? Yeah, they're a force to be reckoned with. We're not going to survive this. Exactly right. Our days are coming to an end. Okay? We, we thought we were strong and powerful. Maybe not. And that's the reason why God was doing what God was doing is to make it very clear that the Lord was strong and powerful and the nations were not, okay? And at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make for yourself flint knives and circumcise again the sons of Israel for a second time. And so they're doing what the Lord told them to do. So Joshua made himself flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel. This is the reason why Josh, Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war, died in the wilderness along the way after they came out of Egypt. For the people who came out were circumcised, but all the people who were born in the wilderness along the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the sins of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, that is the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not listen to the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord had sworn that he would not let them see the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Their children whom he raised up in their place, Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised them along the way. Now when they had finished circumcising all the nation, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, so that the name of the place is Gilgad, Gilgad to this day. And that means a rolling, of a, a rolling away. And so basically what God has said to Joshua is, it's a new day, Egypt is done, it's over, it's gone, we've come into the promised land, we have a whole new generation, they are committed to the Lord, they are ready, here we go, we're done with that, we're moving forward. That's what's going on at this point. All right? Verse 10. Well, the sons of Israel encamped at Gilgal, they observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month on the desert plains of Jericho. Why did they observe the Passover? Why did they continue to serve the Passover year after year? Yep, you just, that was too big of an answer. Nice answer, good answer. Well done. Why did they continue to observe the Passover though? To remember. To remember. Why do we continue to observe the Lord's Supper? To remember. Okay? Sam's answer was exactly right. That's why they did it. And they did it to remember because God did not want them to forget what he had done. Why is it that we stop and we celebrate the Lord's Supper? Why is it that the music is the way it is and we dim the lights up here and the cross? Why do we do that? To remember what it is that the Lord had done for us because we tend to forget. Okay, now we'll never forget we're saved. I mean, we know we're saved. 
but to remember what it is that Jesus did for us and to stop and, and to reflect and to, to make sure that that matters to us again, that it's rekindled in our life. This is what God has done for us, okay? And that's what they needed to do, and so they did that. All right. Um, on the day, verse 11, on the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. The manna ceased on the day after they had eaten some of the produce of the land, so the sons of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate some of the yield of the land of Canaan during that year. So it changed. They didn't need the manna anymore because now they were in the promised land. They were in the land, uh, you know, flowing with milk and honey. It was a good land. It produced. And so now they were not going to be taken care of by God any longer. So that was a change in their life, right? Don't you wonder how many people got up the next day and went outside and said, God, <laughs> where's my food? What happened? Okay, they had to, to go about life a little bit differently all of a sudden. Verse 13, now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes. So Joshua's the commander and he's checking out Jericho and what's going to happen next. And he lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold a man was standing opposite of him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for adversaries? He said, no. Rather, I am indeed come now as captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to a servant? The captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. The place where Joshua was standing was holy. In that spot, how many people had walked before Joshua? We have no idea. Probably untold numbers. What made that spot different at that time at that moment, because the captain of the Lord was there, because the Lord was there. And in fact, we understand that it says here, what is it that Joshua did? He worshiped him. That leads us to indicate that chances are this was Christ in the flesh, okay? This was Christ in the flesh appearing, okay? And that he had come, back, he had come and, and, and Christ did that every once in a while through the Old Testament. And we see that. Because if, if, if Joshua wasn't supposed to worship, he would have been told not to worship. We know we're not supposed to worship angels. He would have been told, don't do that. He was worshiping. Okay, chances are that's what this was. Okay, and what made this spot holy was nothing about it except God was there. All right? God was there. So what does that teach us about life? Yeah, that's a good answer. God can show up in all sorts of places, absolutely. What else does it teach us about life? What made this spot different? God was there. What does that teach us about life? God dwells in us. Therefore what? We are holy, therefore what? <laughs> we do, therefore what? You haven't got there yet. <laughs> there you go, say it louder. Life is different everywhere, all the time, because God is here. That's exactly right. We don't think that way, do we? In fact, how do we think, in all honesty? We think God is in this place. I will behave because I'm going to church. 
I will think differently, act differently. I will do things differently. I'm at church after all. This is where God is. Okay? We leave church. I've left church. I've left God. I can do whatever I want now. Okay? Now, we don't rationalize it that way. But isn't the effect like that many times? We need to understand that all of life should be different. And we probably should use the word holy, but that's a big word and that's an awful big thing. All of life should be different because God dwells in us. And we should approach life in a holy way because God dwells in us. And again, next week we're going to talk about sin. And it's a pretty serious topic, and this is a pretty serious topic. Okay? I don't live that way 24 hours a day. Do you guys live that way 24 hours a day? And, and, and we should be ashamed by that, about that, and I am. That's not a good thing. Life should be different. We should, we should live differently. We should approach differently. We should think differently because God's in us. And just like Joshua recognized that this was a special thing and he was standing on holy ground, remove your feet, remove your shoes. You're on holy ground. Okay? Think differently, believer. Think differently. This is a good activity, and I never want to minimize what goes on on Sunday mornings. I think, that, I think that this ought to be a priority in all of our lives as believers. You guys know that about me. I, you ought to be in Sunday school. You ought to be in church. You ought to, this is a really, really good thing, okay? But as God has laid out life, is this all that more holy than going to work tomorrow morning? No. The answer is no. It's a different activity, but when it comes to holy, which simply means what? Set apart. When it comes to that, what you do tomorrow at work should be just as valuable to you and just as holy as your time in this activity called worship, Bible study, fellowship. Why? Because God lives inside of you and you represent him and you need to be different. And that's how life should be for us. We need to work on that, I think, obviously, don't we? Well, Joshua did exactly what he was supposed to do. Chapter 6. Now, Jericho was tightly shut up because of the sons of Israel. Because they were scared. Okay? No one went in. No one came out. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and its valiant warriors. Okay. What is Joshua looking at from a distance? He's looking at Jericho. What's he looking at? The walls. Secured. Tightly shut up. Remarkable thing. Big, tall, wide, huge. Okay? This was a big deal. A walled city. And he's looking at this massive thing, and the Lord says what? Look, I've given it to you. Okay? There was no evidence of that in any way, shape, or form right now, except the evidence of, I don't know, the Red Sea, the Passover, the plundering of Egypt, the provision in the wilderness, the Jordan, all the different things that God had done over and over again, right? We look at things, and, and, and we read, and we want to believe God, and what God is saying is rather big. And in order to believe God and to understand that what God is saying about this thing is true, there are times when we need to look back at all of the Ebenezer's that we've set up and said, yep, 
I'm pretty sure that God means what he says here. I can trust him. I can trust him. Because look at what he's done in the past. Verse 3, you, you shall march around the city and the men of war circling the city once. You shall do this for six days. Here's a tactic for you, Joshua. I want you to take the men, I want you to walk around the city, and I want you to go sit down. And then the next day, I want you to do it again, and go sit down, and I want you to do that for six days. Also, seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Then on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and that's what you heard earlier by Brian, that was a ram's, ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up every man straight ahead. There's your plan, Joshua. Just do what I tell you to do, and it'll all be taken care of. <laughs> so, can you imagine? They march around the city, and then they go home. And they march around the city and they go home. And like, what do you think? The third or fourth day, the, the warriors and the soldiers from Jericho are standing on the walls laughing at them? What are you people doing? Why are you doing this? Okay, yeah, here they come again. What are they going to do today? And then on the seventh day, they do something different. And then, uh, obviously, we know that life turns out a little bit differently. Verse 8, and it was so that when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of the ram's horns before, before the Lord went forward and blew the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed man went before the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark while they continued to blow the trumpets. But Joshua commanded the people, saying, you shall not shout or let your voice be heard nor word proceed out of your mouth until the, and, until the day I tell you shout, then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord taken around the city, circling it once, and they came into the camp, and they spent the night in the camp, and they did exactly what it is that God told them to do. Jump over verse 15. Then on the seventh day, they rose early at the dawning of the day, and they marched around the city in the same manner seven times. Only on the day, they marched around the city seven times. At the seventh time, when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city shall be under the bed. Uh, under the ban, it and all of it belongs to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot and all who are with her in the house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But as for you, only keep for yourselves from the things under the ban so that you do not cover them and take some of the things under the ban and make the camp of Israel accursed and bring trouble on it. So verse 20 says, so the people shouted and the priests blew the trumpets and when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout and the wall fell down flat. So the people went up into the city, every man straight ahead, and they took the city. They utterly destroyed everything in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep, donkey, with the edge of the sword. And archaeologists tell us that the walls of Jericho fell out, not in. They fell out. There was no doubt that God did this remarkable thing. They tell us that the walls of the city of Jericho were wide enough to um, have a, a, a chariot on. Okay, so about as wide as a, as a modern-day car, basically. All right, maybe not quite that wide, but in that neighborhood. That's how wide these, that's how thick the walls were. They fell out. They went in, and they took care of it because the Lord said, this is yours, this is what I do for you. The question, the question that Israel had to answer every single day for seven days, and then on that seventh day, as they were doing exactly what God said, they had to answer this question. Do you trust the Lord? Jericho's yours. Here's what I want you to do. Really? That's really kind of dumb, isn't it? 
The Lord told the blind man, go and wash. Do you trust the Lord? The woman who had the issue and she was sick for years and nobody could cure, she touched the hem of his garment. Do you trust and believe in the Lord? Do you trust the Lord? It's a question that I have to answer every day. It's a question you have to answer every day. Do you trust the Lord? Do you trust the Lord? Do you trust when the Lord says do these things, do you trust the Lord? They did what the Lord said and the city was utterly destroyed. And they took and they had Jericho. I want you to notice real quick in uh, verse 22, Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the harlot's house and bring the woman and all she has out there as you have sworn to her. So the young men who were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all she had. And they also brought out her relatives and placed them outside the camp of Israel. They burned the city with fire and all that was in it, only the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron they put in the treasure of the house of the Lord. However, Rahab the harlot and her father's household and all she had, Joshua spared. And she has lived in the midst of Israel to this day for she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. It is interesting to note that, um, well, let me just say this. Let me just ask you the question, especially with what we've been studying as we've been in, our, in the book of Acts. What does sparing Rahab teach us and indicate for the future? Pardon? Exactly right. The Gentiles are saved. That was a picture of what was to come. She wasn't a part of Israel, okay? But God spared her and saved her and her family, all right? And it was a picture of what was to come is that, is that God has always been working within the nation of Israel, but because of God's grace, he goes beyond the nation of Israel and everybody uh, who believes then is saved, all right? And he goes beyond that, and that's kind of the picture that was going on here. I want to read this to you. Um, and this is from our quarterly, all right? Um, it says this. The importance of Rahab's role in the part of her family is explained in the last half of verse 25. And we said that, that she lived in the midst of Israel. The Hebrew text indicates firstly that she lived among Israel until the present, until the time of this writing. She is not distinguished from, but is part of Israel. She has ceased to be a Canaanite or a non-Israelite and now has become an Israelite. The reason for this then stated the second time, because she hid the men Joshua spent as spies to Jericho. In the story of Rahab, this verse hide appears only once when Rahab explains how the spies should have hid themselves in the mountains or after they left Jericho. Here, however, it describes her earlier actions in keeping the men away from the royal agents. The text stresses that Rahab rejected her past associations with the Canaanites and transferred her loyalty to Israel. By so doing, it demonstrates how Israel could receive others with kindness. For Christian, the story of Rahab is the story of the shepherd's search for the lost sheep, the concern for Jesus, for the despise of the world, the transformation of values to which Christians call disciples. Those rejected by the world are precious to God. Are we making sure that our allegiance is where it belongs, as Rahab did? Is your allegiance where it belongs? Is your allegiance with the things of this world or is your allegiance with the Lord as a believer? One more thing about Rahab. When Rahab is mentioned in Scripture from our quarterly once again, she often receives, 
receives an infamous designation. She is called Rahab the prostitute. In Joshua 2.1, the spies entered Jericho and gathered at the house of a prostitute named Rahab. In 6.17, her name is mentioned again with that same designation. In the passage above, the two spies were told by Joshua to go to the prostitute's house. In Hebrews 11.31, the writer says that by faith, Rahab the prostitute welcomed the spies and did not perish with those the king and the people of, Jes of Jericho who were disobedient. James 2.25 refers to Rahab the prostitute as someone whose faith was demonstrated in works. Interestingly enough, it is only when Rahab is associated with Jesus and his gene genealogy in Matthew that this dubious distinction is dropped. There the text says, Solomon fathered Boaz by Rahab, period. Not Rahab anything, just Rahab. Boaz would marry Ruth. They had a son named Obed. Obed had a son named Jesse. Jesse had a son named David. And Jesus is the son of David, which makes Rahab a great, 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 great grandmother of the Messiah. Pretty amazing, isn't it? That God does that. God uses people. Okay? God uses people. It doesn't matter who you were. It matters who you are. It does not matter who you were. It matters who you are. And who you were does not need to and should not and cannot define who you are and who you will be. Not for a one of us. Not a one of us. Okay? Yes, that was me. It's not who I am. And it's not who I will be. God's grace new every day. God's mercy, new every day. Every day is a new start, okay? And of all the people in the world who should understand that the past doesn't have to define the present, it ought to be Christians. We're living witnesses of that, okay? And we need to deal with people in our lives that same way, don't we? Doesn't, that's not who I was. I'm in Christ, and I'm new today. And Rahab is a great example of that. What an amazing thing that God was willing to use her in that whole genealogy thing, right? Don't you think that the scribes and the Pharisees studying that every once in a while had a conniption fit about that? What were they thinking? They probably tried to strike her name or something on occasion, okay? But God uses all sorts of people in all sorts of ways, doesn't he? What's the one thing that God cares about? Where your heart is right now. Where's your heart right now? Where are you at right now? Okay? Confess, repent, move on. Where's your heart right now? Where's your heart right now? Okay? Well, let's remember the Ebenezer's in our life. Let's put up our Ebenezer's every once in a while. Let's tell people about how God has done remarkable things for us. Let's trust the Lord. Let's obey the Lord. And let's understand that uh, God changes people. And God uses people in some amazing ways. Father, thanks for our time together as we've studied and looked a little bit at Joshua and Jericho and what you've done and your amazing, wonderful work. And as we look back in our own lives, we see a lot of times when you've done some amazing work. Father, I pray that we remember those always, that we would establish Ebenezer's every now and again, that we would remember this is what you've done. You are the stone, the rock of our help, of help in our lives. And Father, we just pray that we would cherish that and we'd cling to that. Father, thank you for saving us. Thank you that our past, as ugly as it is, does not need to define our present and certainly not our future. 
But what defines our present and our future is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit at work in us as we yield to him. May that be who we are. May we be people who yield for the glory of Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen.